you know, a story that comes from the heart, touches the heart, but the, it has to come from the heart. That's really the secret. Welcome to the Grant Writing Simplified Podcast. This is the place to learn how to make a big impact in your community through grant writing and nonprofit consulting. The world needs you to step forward as a grant writer and use your skills to lead with confidence. I'm Teresa Huff, former special ed teacher turned grant writer and nonprofit strategist. In my 20 years of freelancing, I've helped nonprofits triple their funding and exponentially increase their reach. Now I'm stepping up to mentor freelancers and nonprofit leaders like you who are ready to take your skills to the next level. It's time to get intentional about your vision so you can create lasting change in your community. Learn the skills and strategies you need to become the grant writer the world needs. Let's do this. Hey friends, welcome to episode 59. We are in the middle of our nonprofit storytelling series. And last week I shared my early morning epiphany of how grants are like coffee mugs. And no, it doesn't have anything to do with caffeine. (laughs) So if you haven't listened to that one yet, make sure you go back and check out last week's. It's just a short, fun little episode. I also have a fun announcement Coming up on October 1st, I'm presenting a session at the Drury Nonprofit Leadership Conference in Springfield, Missouri, and I'll be talking about the top 10 myths about grants and how you can refocus your efforts to increase your impact. It's going to be a great day of learning and inspiration for nonprofits. You can still grab a ticket to attend live or watch the recordings afterwards. And as always, all the links to everything I talk about in this episode will be linked in the show notes and on the blog. You guys know by now that I'm always on the lookout for a good system to make my work more efficient. Recently, I discovered Instrumental, and it's made my grant search process go so much faster. They send reminders of upcoming deadlines, plus they have all the helpful data right there. That right there would take me hours to dig up on my own. Instrumental really does bring all your grant prospecting and tracking and the ongoing management all under one roof. I highly recommend you give it a test drive. So I've partnered with Instrumental to give you a free two-week trial and $50 off your first month. Go to TeresaHuff.com slash Instrumental today to start your free trial, and you can use the code GWSPOD. That's G-W-S-P-O-D. Their customers increase the rate of the grant applications they submit by 78%. Imagine what that could do for your nonprofit's funding. Go check it out and let me know how you like it. Now, today's guest is David Jassy from DMJ Studios. We first connected on LinkedIn, and after following him for a while, I could tell that he really gets nonprofits. He knows how to pull out a compelling story and showcase it through video. David has worked for some big-name TV networks, and since starting his own production company years ago, his nonprofit films have raised over $20 million for nonprofits. There are so many good takeaways in this episode. If you're a nonprofit, be ready to take notes on how you can better tell your story. And if you're a grant writer, this might give you some ideas on how you can better help tell your nonprofit story. And there are some interesting parallels between his video storytelling process and the grant writing process, which surprised me as we were talking. And I think you'll find those interesting too, because there are a lot of the same strategies and the ways we approach clients, the ways we approach the process, and all of the elements that go behind the scenes that we don't even realize. When you watch a minute-long video, yeah, that's great, that's powerful, but you don't realize all these things that went into the production and the hours and hours behind it. And it's much the same way with grant writing. There's so much that goes on behind the scenes to be a part of that, to really make it effective. So enjoy, and I think you will find lots of great takeaways here. David, welcome to the show. It's good to talk to you today. Tell us a random fact about yourself. Well, I think, first of all, that's an amazing question to start off a show. (laughs) And um, I don't think not too many people know this about me, but I was an aerobics teacher many years ago. And I used to teach classes for like 35 women and two guys. Awesome. (laughs) That's great. I used to take aerobics a long time ago. I should get back into it again. Maybe you could go virtual. Uh, No, this was like (laughs) another lifetime ago. It has a wonderful benefit. 
that, you know, the story I tell about myself is you're a healthy guy, you're an exercise guy. So if I start to get a little overweight, if I start to slow down, I know in the back of my head that I'm an exercise guy and I'm a healthy guy and I should get up and I should run and I should drink water. So it's kind of just a tool that I use. And actually now when I go to weddings, in the Jewish tradition, you're supposed to dance for the bride and the groom and you're supposed to entertain them. So I still have a little bit of those moves left to make the bride and groom happy. So you can keep up just enough to stay in the cool zone there. (laughs) That's great. And, you know, that's a good mind trick sometimes to do something like that and to flip that script on yourself to say, I am good at this. I can do this. I am healthy to tell yourself that. And then sometimes your actions will follow. And it goes the other way as well. Sometimes we have bad stories about ourselves that are not going to make us get they're going to be limiting beliefs. Exactly. So sometimes we have to change those stories. Right. And that has a lot of power when we do that. So you have a unique combination here of video, and now you've combined that with a lot of nonprofit work. So tell us how you got into that and why you decided to connect those two dots. Well, first of all, I used to take a 417 train to New York City in the early days to set up the studio for CNN. That was my first job, miking the guests and doing studio camera. I moved up from a cameraman to an engineer, to an editor, to a producer. I was at CNN for four or five years. That was my training. So I learned television at the networks. I also worked for MTV. I also worked for CBS. I worked for Fox. We did work for Discovery Channel. So I got my background in broadcast television. And then when we started to do one or two nonprofit videos, the idea is that we should definitely be using all the tricks of the trade, whether they be broadcast or advertising or anything else, the professional tools for the nonprofit world. Uh, I remember being disappointed and frustrated that great causes looked like garbage. And yet in the advertising world, uh, you know, we did a commercial for iced tea that didn't even exist. We flew out to Mexico. They made the cans fake for us. We put them in front of a waterfall, hired a beautiful actress to hold them in front of the waterfalls. And here we had absolutely nothing and we made it look beautiful. And with the nonprofit organizations, very often it was the other way around. They have the real deal. They help real people. It's a real business and they look like nothing. So it's been our mission over the years to make sure that we bring the same tools that are available in the advertising world and the TV world to the nonprofit world. Instead of them being like beggars, I look at nonprofits as businesses where the profits go back to help more people. So when you're running a business, you have to do it in a professional way. So true. And I think a lot of times people lose sight of that, of we're on shoestring budgets and therefore we just try to get by instead of realizing that they do need good quality work and they can step it up and use those resources that are available. I, you know, when I hear that word, we're on shoe, string, budgets. This takes us back to the very first thing you and I spoke about, about limiting beliefs. When you have a limiting belief like that, that nonprofits are on shoestring budgets, that's that's a terrible state of mind to approach a holy and good cause with. That's terrible. What an association, a shoestring budget. Why would you think that? You're going to limit everything you do. When you look at it as a business and doing good business, then you're going to say, well, we need the proper um, marketing tools. So I think the idea of a shoestring budget just as a mental exercise or a limiting belief is a terrible thing. Like we spoke about, you're a business. If you start off with we're a shoestring budget or or something like that, you're not going to have the proper attitude. This is a business. And when you're doing a business, you need the proper tools. And donors respect that. So, for example, if someone says, I don't want to spend that kind of money for a video, well, the video is not really supposed to cost you money. It's supposed to make you money. If you don't have a campaign, if you don't have a plan, then you're right. Don't spend money on a video. But once you look at it more professionally, 
and you say, we need a professional video, then you could go to a donor, for example, you could go to a company and you could say, we're using it for digital marketing. We're using it in this way and that way. And they say, well, that's fantastic. We'd be happy to put our corporate sponsorship on there. I'll be happy to put my personal name on there. So what you focus on, you get. If you focus on, I'm a shoestring budget, then you're going to tie everything together with a shoestring, as opposed to what we've been speaking about, using the professional tools out there to raise money. Yes. And I'm so glad you brought that up because that's one thing I really work on with clients is trying to think bigger with their vision and really think past where they are right now. Maybe it's difficult right now, but to think bigger and think positive in that forward direction of where could they go? Where do they want to go with this and set those goals for that and how to get there strategically instead of just in that mindset of we're broke, we need money, we're barely getting by. Like, okay, so let's get you out of that and grow and get bigger. So then that helps climb out of that where a lot of them, like you said, don't realize that business skills need to apply to nonprofit work. If people come in, donors understand that, business people, supporters, if you can apply those skills and strategies to the nonprofit and treat it, like you said, as if it were a business and how can we grow this, then that's much more effective. We had a wonderful situation with a very small special needs school, which was uh, looking like a mom and pop. And then they were honoring a hedge fund guy. And he said, I'm not going to invite all my wealthy friends, donor friends to something that looks like a mom and pop. And the executive director happened to come from the business world as well. So between the two of them, they appreciated it. They spent a significant amount of money with us. We did a whole rebrand and we doubled their fundraising from a million to two million in the first year because we gave them all the proper tools. And that, unfortunately, is such a rarity. Very often you, you speak to somebody and they go, oh, and, and they mean well, and it's very nice of you, anybody out there listening, people mean well when they say, oh, we put all the money that we make to help the people. I know, but if you put a little bit more into the business and the sales and the marketing, you'd be able to help more people. And there's no reason why people who work at a nonprofit organization shouldn't be getting paid for their skills. If you want to volunteer, part-time and so forth, there's plenty of room for volunteers, but you need a core group of professionals to get things done and so forth. Just picking one random fact, if you don't get back to your donors properly, and if you don't thank your donors properly, you're going to lose them. It's not right morally. It's not right from a business perspective, but you may not have the resources to do that. That's why you have to run a, a professional company. So true. And that's really something that is manageable. Like even if you don't have a huge budget, you can still thank your donors. That's a simple step that you can take to follow up and nurture that relationship. And I think sometimes people forget it is about relationships and building that trust. And I think video storytelling is a wonderful way to do that because there's nothing like a picture and a video to really convey the mission in a second of just that imagery of what they do and how impactful and powerful it is. Well, I think the most important thing that people in any kind of communications, the nonprofit world, whatever, need to know is that 80% of communication is nonverbal. It's how it's said. It's what you see at the time. It's the emotional component that's going to touch people. That's going to make a difference. So just let's go back to the days where there were these big banquets and there were a lot of speeches. And then we do a lot of films for those big events. And it was a nice break and an important break for the people not to be watching talking heads standing up there touting, but go to the video. And it's your chance to show your donors the beautiful work that you're doing. You just have to see a couple of images on the screen and you're moved by them. You know, you don't really want to say, oh, we helped all these people and we went out with a mask and you just look at a shot and, you know, a picture is definitely worth a thousand words. A video is worth a million words. 
And if you do it properly, if you do it from the heart, if you do it emotionally with the right music and so forth, you could make a huge difference. And that takes me to a subject that people don't have an appreciation for is they're like, well, we could shoot it on your phone. Yes, you could shoot it on your phone. It's not about shooting a video. It's about shooting the right video. You have to have your audience in mind. You have to have emotion in mind. You have to have the medium in mind. I don't know if this is clear to everybody. We know this like the back of our hand, but we're making a very different video if it's for a banquet where you just paid $800 and they just fed you than if you're watching a virtual event and we have to keep the viewer entertained eight seconds at a time. So all these things, who you're talking to, determine how you're going to talk to them. It's very clear to me because we do this all the time, but people who are not in this space don't understand what goes into thinking, <laughs> strategizing before we do anything. Right. You really need to understand the situation, the audience, and the purpose for the video before you even start putting it together or shooting it. Correct. Because some people say, you know, how much is a video? Well, it could be free. I could shoot it on my phone. I'll, I'll come and you'll talk for an hour. Do you think you're going to engage people? You know, it's not about a video. Like I said before, it's about the right video. Is the right video uh, an animation? So, for example, we did a film of autism during COVID and what families are going through. So you go through all the issues that you have to communicate and so forth. So in that particular situation, the right approach was animation. So we did an animated film. For the same nonprofit organization, we happen to have done a film on domestic violence during COVID. So as not to, you know, how do you say implicate? Uh, so not as to say who's guilty of this crime. We, we came up with a clever film without people in it. And we brought in our cinematographers in the house. It was called Objects. So like um, an alcohol bottle could be rage fuel. Uh, a vase could be a um, blunt object. Different ways to look at objects. But the idea is you have to figure out like what can we show? What can we not show? What are we trying to communicate to, wh to whom? So it's all about figuring out what the right video is, what the right tools are. We have a lot of tools at our disposal. Sometimes the right tool is a cell phone video. Sometimes the right tool is a drone. You know, we have to figure out what the message is, and then we figure out what the best tool is to get that across in the most authentic way. I'm seeing so many parallels from this, oddly enough, to grant writing, because it is about the strategy and knowing how to approach it, how to craft your proposal up front, what your need is to begin with and making sure it's a good fit. And then, like you said, with how much does it cost to write a grant? <laughs> that depends. Is it going to take a couple hours or 200 hours? It could be the whole gamut. So really, there are a lot of similarities here. You need to understand what kind of picture you're painting and what is the best strategy to put that together. Oddly enough, I never thought about that before, but that really is kind of similar as far as the process itself and how we go about that. It's just our end goal is the same of trying to generate funding, but in a different capacity. And I have to say, even though I'm doing this for more than 20 years, sometimes I forget also. Someone says, I need a video. And I'm like, okay. You know, and then when I'm about to send my cameraman, he starts asking me a million questions and I go, you know, you're right. Sometimes I'm too much like the client. I mean, that's why we have clients, because I'm inside their head. I understand where they are. But sometimes I'm even too much like a client, which means not educated from a professional perspective. I'll give you an example, because without an example, maybe it's not clear. It's very clear to me. It may not be clear to view, uh, viewers. Somebody said, I need a camera to shoot uh, a, a two shot. So what does that mean? Normally, that means uh, a two shot is two people on camera. So I think like honorees, like two people are going to be sit there and we have to light it. And then it turned out, no, it was actually an interview. 
It was a reporter interviewing a person. Well, if you're just going to shoot two people at one shot, they're going to be on a profile and it's going to look terrible. You'll never see the front of somebody's face. So they were asking for one camera. But really, you kind of need the host and you need the guest. And they're like, well, we can't afford two cameras. It was only like two, three hundred dollars more, but they didn't want to spend that. So I remembered back to my old days at CNN where you go out with one camera and make it look like two. You do re-ask questions after you interview the person and you're done for the day. The host had to keep track of all their questions and you have to edit it back. So it came out perfect. I just watched it before I got on. That's how they did it under my direction. But originally, it turned out that the, the, the client, they didn't ask the right way. And they, they, they thought they knew what they wanted. They didn't know what they wanted. So you really have to look into each situation. It's not as easy as it sounds. And getting creative and then sometimes trying to be more proactive and setting those questions up front to gather the information you need can probably be a lot more helpful. Well, I think what you're commenting on is, you know, we don't know what we don't know. So as a professional, we always have to offer up different possibilities and suggestions. And, you know, I'm a believing Jew or whatever that means. Uh, You know, I'm sure there are non-Jewish people who also feel that your living comes from God, you know? So I believe that uh, my living comes from God because sometimes you think it's coming from over here and it comes from over there. And why do I bring that up? Because uh, I give away information for free all the time. I'm not worried about it. So I'm happy to get on with any uh, company and especially the nonprofits because we deal so much in that and really talk it over. And it goes for corporations also. I don't like people putting out bad video. I don't like people doing it the wrong way. So I I like explaining to people all the things I've learned in 30 years. Well, I've been wondering where would a nonprofit start if they were thinking of venturing into this video storytelling world? How would they know where to even start? Because I'm thinking of some of the clients I've worked with are not very tech savvy don't know a whole lot about the online world as far as what resources and tools are out there. So what would they even need to do first? Well, number one, videos generally, you know, unless you're shooting them yourself, uh, cost money. Campaigns make money. So first and foremost, you have to start with the end in mind. Am I playing this? Are we going to have a banquet of some sort? Are they going to be sitting down and eating dinner? So we're going to produce some entertainment. Are we perhaps doing a a virtual event and we need to do a a promo video to get there? Or am I looking to put something in front of my biggest donors? And how am I going to touch those people? So let's say we're going to get in front of big donors. You need to hear real life stories. Um, That's what we specialize in storytelling. A story that comes from the heart, touches the heart. When I do interviews, for example, everybody, the first time you interview somebody, they're going to give you the recipe. I I was in the shower. I felt the lump. I got sick. I went into chemotherapy and I went to this organization and I don't know where I'd be without this organization. Duh. Everybody tells the same story. So it's got to be emotional. I take them back to that day. Very often people are crying. I'm crying. I apologize to them for making them cry, but I explain to them out of sight, out of mind. If we don't get these stories in front of people, nobody will know the great work uh, that you do. So you're asking, how would I start thinking about video? Like I said, you got to start with the end in mind. So if I'm going to be in front of my donor and chances are whether it's going to be in front of your biggest donor and you're having a parlor meeting, or whether it's online. The reason why we're in business is because we make highly emotional films based on the formula that I just told you. And then we're very careful in editing. My background is in editing. And when I learned at CNN how to edit, I was sitting next to a guy who said, can't you see that's off by two frames? Can't you see that's off by four frames? So 
at that time I was editing fashion videos. So it was about the model turning, you know, and if you just do it at the right place, it flows smoothly in editing. Now you take it fast forward to doing a cancer film and a person's crying on camera too much is not, is not right. So you have to put just the amount of silence, you know, and, and for example, when you're editing and you want to bring attention to something, you drop out all the music and then that points all the fingers there. So you have to get the right story. You have to be a good storyteller. And I get it very often out of order. I'm paying attention because whatever the person is talking about, then you have to realize, uh, you know, you have to be able to connect the dots when you're done. So you get it out of order. Then you go in the edit room, you put it in the right order. Then you cut it down, 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 and you work with silence a lot and emotion. And because you're trying to touch people. And the last thing you want to do is make a video brochure. It's got to be the right combination of informa- uh, of emotion and information. So for example, you could really only show helping one person, but if you've saved 10,000 this year, then you, tr- you figure out a clever way to put that in just in the right amount. Because if it's just like a PowerPoint with all these numbers, it's it, we call it a video brochure. You don't want to do that. That's better communicated we don't have as many brochures these days, but that would be on a web page that's hosting the video. And you still don't want to give too, too many facts because nobody wants to read. Nobody ever wanted to read, but even more so now than ever. So I think your question was, how do I go about making a video? So in summary, it's starting with the end in mind. You have to think of your audience. You should always use emotion and just the right amount of information. That's a good reminder because just one or the other would not be nearly as effective. If you just told this one story, you'd miss out on the bigger picture impact. But if you just told, like you said, all the big facts and figures, you would miss the emotion of how much difference that one story made for that person and that family. There's actually a use for just information and just emotion. Because in the old days, we just did that six-minute video for the banquet. And we tried encouraging our clients, now it's kind of obvious, that you want to do social media videos also. So when you, you know, you're going to spend a significant amount of money to get a, a video crew and a director out there in order to maximize your return on investment and also maximize the um, power of your campaign, you don't want to just create one piece of media, you want to create social media videos. So for example, if somebody was just emotional, and it was a story without any facts, that's terrific. Don't drag it on. Just make a short minute and a half film of somebody who was helped. On the other hand, just putting out some facts and numbers on on social media in a short video could also be very powerful. You know, so you want to create a whole arsenal of materials, maybe for that longer presentation film. It has to be that right balance of information and emotion. Who are you? See, that's another thing we always keep in mind is generally I always assume that there's not going to be anybody there to set up the video. I'm not talking about social media videos right now where you can just have one thing. But if it's an overall video, we assume that. People don't know anything about the organization. So you have to do a short setup to explain it. And you have to have a story to touch people. You have to have probably a call to action. There are a lot of things that go into making a video. But if it's part of your social media uh, arsenal, then you say, I have to give small digestible chunks. So we spoke about two. We spoke about just emotion. People like a good story. That'll engage people. We talked about facts. You could do a separate one that's just on facts. And then a third one is, you know, content marketing, which we haven't touched on. But we did that, for example, for the special needs school. So what was the content marketing? How to deal with anger in your kids, for example, was one of them. So there's an audience for that. There are parents. Another film we did in that series was What was your first reaction when you found out your child was special needs? 
So these are this is all content focused, and there is you have an audience for parents, and parents will share that, and there are sites for that, and the organizations for that, and it gets a conversation. So that's content marketing, giving over information that the audience is going to want. So once again, you start with the end in mind. What are we doing with this? Where is this going to fit in the campaign? If you just wanted to try and nail it, I'd say tell a good story. Try to do it on a phone because then it's authentic. But the truth of the matter is without a good, I'm not trying to tout myself, but without a good director to lead the witness, you don't always, you don't always get what you want. Uh, sometimes you do because you're really just trying to capture real life. But the nice thing about everybody ha having a, a video camera now, uh, whether it's a phone or a Zoom, is that we don't have to reenact life. You capture a snippet of life. So you don't have to be a, a director to capture an amazing snippet of life. You just have to be in the right place at the right time. So there's a lot to be said for just capture what's going on. Ideally, you pass it over to editors who have a better sense of how not to bore people because everybody falls in love with their own material. That's like the number one rule they tell you in film school is don't fall in love with your material because you love it. It's like you have to think of it as a, like a high school yearbook or whatever. The parents just want to see their kids and you could fill it up with all the kids and it wouldn't matter because everybody's looking for their kid. But you, when you make a film, you can't think that everybody's going to like love everything you love. So you have to be very careful to only put the very powerful, universally accepted stuff. I hope this makes sense. We just do, it just goes naturally when you're doing this. You know, there's, there's a lot a lot of thought that goes into everything. Right. A lot of behind the scenes that when we watch these quick videos on social media or if we're at a banquet, we don't even think about all this strategy and thought that's gone behind it. But it really is powerful when you know what you're doing and how to pull those pieces together in a very impactful way. And I really like the idea from a nonprofit perspective of, creating this video, but then also pulling out pieces of it to use in other ways and repurposing those segments and those sub stories within that bigger project, because that's even more useful and making the most of this investment that you've done and really just helping broaden that impact. Right. You always have to start with the end in mind and have social media in mind and quantity in mind. And the most important thing is, like, I'm an expert in this field because I've been doing it a long time. The, the nonprofit people are experts in their field as well, and they have a lot to share. So I'll go back to the um, special needs school. When you have a counselor there, a social worker, a therapist, an occupational therapist, they're a treasure, you know. So the interviewer has to pull out their expertise and drill them about their expertise. And you just get this great content that people are going to want to watch. You have to figure the audience again, like who's going to want to watch that? Is that the audience you want to, you want to attract? But, uh, you know, I'm reading this book called likable social media. And this David Kirpin is explaining that life is like a giant cocktail party. When you, if you want to know what social media is without, it's a, it's like a giant cocktail party without the drinks. So when you're trying to figure out what you should be putting on social media, the answer is, what would you talk about at a party to attract attention? Nobody likes the salesman. Nobody likes the overly talkative person. People like jokes, people like humor, people like stories. So this is a way to govern also what kind of material you're going to put out. Will this entertain people at a cocktail party? Or will that entertain people on social media? Will that engage people? And as a coach told me, everybody's favorite radio station is WIFM. Do you know what that is? What? What's in it for me? Every, mm -hmm. Everybody thinks about themselves, right? So if you're reaching out to donors, the donors are thinking about themselves. What does the donor want to hear? What does your audience want to hear? We don't like that guy who's always talking about himself, right? You like him who's engaging other people. So this is another thing to keep in mind when you're putting out materials. 
it's not always all about you. <laughs> it's about <laughs> your donor. It's about people watching. So all these things go into how to engage people. So on your example you gave of the nonprofit that you helped grow from a million to two million, how would a nonprofit know when they are ready for you to come in and help? Are there any indicators that, yes, the timing is right? Well, the only thing I could think of at this moment is what happened over there. They, it was, all the right things came together. It was a hedge fund guy being honored and him saying, I'm not inviting all my wealthy friends unless we have respectable PR materials. And I remember when I was standing in the office of the executive director and he showed me, before I knew this, he just called me in, right? And I saw a horrific logo that I couldn't tell if it was for a parade, if it was for a synagogue. I didn't know what it was for, you know, and I was just looking at it. And you can't say this is terrible because chances are his wife did it or his daughter did it or he did it or he was in charge. So I tried to keep very quiet. And he saw the look on my face. Once again, a picture is worth a thousand words. He read my face and he goes, what? You could tell me. I said, Sam, we can't run uh, an entire campaign based on this. So um, we brought in a, uh, a copywriter he came up with a uniquely special education. It's like eight years later, they still use it. It's still terrific. So you asked me like, when, when do you know that you're um, ready to use a, a professional team? In that case, all the pieces were in the right place, right? So if you don't have a campaign in mind, if you don't have a plan in mind, if you can't figure out on paper, how are you going to make your money back? Like, why would you do this? So you start figuring out how many people are going to come. Are they going to pay? Are they not going to pay? You put down all the variables on a piece of paper. And once it makes sense on paper, that's when you would go ahead and do it. So it may depend on whether you are charging for this event or if you maybe have a business underwriter or a sponsor or someone wanting to help put together this video. So then whichever factors come together then when it financially makes sense to get that return on your investment. And the other thing is, you should never be afraid to ask. And of course, ask specifically. Everybody in the fundraising world knows or should know that if you say, I need money to help children, it's not the same as I need $10,000 to buy new computers for the classroom. So the more specific you can be in fundraising, you'd probably know this much better than I know it, the more successful you'll be. So if you're saying we're making a video and would you sponsor the video, it's not that difficult. I've actually done it for my clients where I know wealthy people from having been in the business. And I ask him, Jack, will you sponsor the uh, video? Oh, he trusts me, he knows my name and he knows the, the work we do and the type of stuff we do. And he pay and he, they put their name on the video. They put the foundation on the video. So necessity is the mother of invention. If you say, you know what, I see this guy's films, whether it's mine or somebody else's. And boy, if I had such an emotional film, I think I would be able to get more money out of my donors. Well, how much is that going to cost? So you put it down on a line item and then you say, can I find us? Let's say it's $25,000 for the video. Do I know anybody who will give $25,000 for the video? Do I know five people who will give $5,000 for the video? You start figuring it out. Right. And then do your nonprofits typically give some sort of tribute to those sponsors or donors? It's either at the beginning or the end, or some holy people want to remain anonymous, <laughs> whatever the case is. But yeah, people like their name on stuff. Yeah. And I think approaching them, not just saying, would you sponsor a video, but maybe here's why going back to that why that you said and conveying that to them as well. We want to impact more people or we want to be able to convey how this is helping families in this school, really helping the donor understand that why before you just approach them. And then so they can understand what you're asking them to be a part of in that bigger picture. Well, you can't sell anything you don't believe in, right? So you have to sell it to the donor. But before you sell it to the donor, 
you have to sell it to yourself. So if you feel convinced and you put it down on paper that you could raise the money and you have a way to raise the money, then it's not that hard to share your enthusiasm and, and excitement. You know, success leaves clues. So if you find out somebody else, how they've been successful in their virtual event or how they've raised money, you talk to a fundraising consultant and you figure out how to do it. And then when you have the confidence that it's going to work and you go ahead and do it. And then once you have the confidence it's going to work, then you'll be able to sell it. So it's a little frustrating when dealing with, with some people who don't understand the bigger picture. And then I'm not out for your business. I'm not out for your money. I'm out to service you. I'm out to help you, whether you're a corporation or a nonprofit. But we have to assess the situation and apply, you know, the right tools to the to the right situation. Yeah, I think that's important to look at that bigger strategy. These are really good tips. And really, it sounds like you are stepping in as an important piece of nonprofits, bigger fundraising picture, not just creating a video, you're actually helping them with their bigger mission, their bigger vision, their bigger fundraising efforts. And this can be a really important stepping stone in that that can last for several years. It can be a long-term investment. Yes, it definitely is an investment. And that's exactly what the client testimonial says on that uh, that nonprofit school that we help go from a million to two million in fundraising. He says it's definitely worth the investment. Now we have two different kinds of clients. We have larger organizations who have those campaigns all in place and they need a powerful video for the right situation or a series of videos. And that's what we do. In other situations, like a call I was on this morning, I also uh, have associations with fundraising consultants and professionals, because when a person doesn't have enough of a foundation or background or support system for their organization, we try and bring as much of that to the table as possible. It's good for business as well. It's, it's just a philosophy of life, try and help out, but it's good for business. People are not coming for a video. People are coming for a tool that's going to help them raise money. So they're more apt to come back if the tools that we created together raise the money. That's why we also have in mind the campaign, try and help out with the campaign, because we want people to make money and come back for more. And very often, though, we do such a good job, they don't need another video for years. There's a ton <laughs> of clients I have like that. Like eight years later, this, this outreach program on a college is using the same video and you know, a lot of organizations like that, they use, they use them for years. And one film we created for that, uh, that nonprofit, he says, David, I've raised hundreds of thousands of dollars with that minute and a half film you did for us. <laughs> and this was, about, job too well. <laughs> this was about seven years ago before short films were really in. But I guess having been raised in the MTV generation, I was doing short clips before everybody else was anyway. But I remember when he said that, you know, and there was a, a, a formula, there was a story and there was a voiceover and a call to action. And it was like a minute and a half. And he used it everywhere for everything. <laughs> That's really powerful. And that says a lot. The kid in the film was like, he's like married in college. <laughs> and he, he was this cute little uh, child in a wheelchair at the time. Now he's just like this grown up person. Funny. He used it for, for years. It was very funny. That's great. Well, and that just speaks to the power of that investment and how that really can be almost timeless. I'm sure after a few years, you'd need to update it. But really in the media and online digital world, where a computer is outdated after six months, <laughs> that's really a long time for that to withstand that test of digital time. I have films out there that are getting tons of hits and still being used. It must be 15 years later. Wow. Well, as we wrap up, tell us if there is a resource in particular that's been meaningful to you over your years of doing this. Well, my resources are the people I interview. I'm a big fan of Anthony Robbins, and he says success leaves clues. So if you meet a successful person, ask them. So my first 
resource would be Anthony Robbins. He taught me a lot. But using his formula, for example, I interviewed Dr. Bernard Lander. His memory should be for a blessing. He started Toro College. That's an institute that has Jewish colleges, non-Jewish colleges, dental schools, medical schools all around the world. So he's a pretty successful guy. So first and foremost, he started that at 58 years old. And one thing he told me was there's no such concept as retirement in Judaic tradition. Colonel Sanders started Kentucky Fried Chicken at I think 67. So he was an amazing interview when he told me there's no such concept as retirement. It's a Western concept that the purpose of life is to reach a certain level and then sit back and do nothing. But that's not a human being. A human being is meant to grow. Living things must grow. So I learned that from Dr. Lander. He was a great resource. And he also told me, if you believe, persevere. So Dr. Lander is always sitting on my shoulder. I really learned a lot about life and business and from the people that I interview. I did a film on rising from divorce. I interviewed about 10 counselors, 10 rabbis, 10 therapists, people going through it. It was like a master's thesis on the subject where you interview real people. So as a filmmaker, I've learned incredible things from the incredible people that I've interviewed. And probably from areas you wouldn't have naturally studied in your own field of work, but you're able to really expand that. Not at all. You do a video on brain injury, you know, and you start asking people questions about that thing. And the guy says, once you've seen one brain injury, you've seen one brain injury. They're all different. Tons of the things, uh, another big leader said, I said, you know, what's the secret to success? Don't just live for yourself. You know, that was 25 years ago. I still hear him in my head. You interview big people, you ask them what's the most important thing in life, and they'll tell you. Like Anthony Robbins says, success leaves clues. So these are successful people. So you ask them questions. So the people I've interviewed for these things have been absolutely a, an amazing resource. I can see that because even just interviewing people on the podcast, like yourself and other guests I've had, I've learned so much from them and just all the different aspects. And then each client I've worked with, their specialty is something different. So the research I've done, the ways I've worked with them, I've learned so much about these different topics and different social needs areas and health areas and education that I would not have learned if I had just stayed in my own box. So it, I really like that because I love learning and expanding. So it's been a great way to do that. And I think that really challenges us too, to learn more and to, I guess, just expand what we're doing and how to apply that. It's really a challenge. You know, they say that uh, God creates everybody with their own cheshik or passion. One guy wants to be a fireman, one guy wants to uh, do eyeglasses. I need new eyeglasses. There are so many wisdoms in this world. God created everybody with a different passion so the world could run. And there are just so many wisdoms out there that when you meet people in this specialty field, you could learn so much. Yeah. And I've learned over the years, there's something to learn from everybody. Everybody knows something that you don't know. Right. Even if they may not appear that way at first or may not be something you're interested in, there's always something to learn. Right. You can learn something from everyone. Sometimes you learn what not to do if, <laughs> also. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> yep. Well, if people want to learn more about you and the work you're doing and how to connect, where can they find you? Uh, dmjstudios.net for the website. On my LinkedIn uh, page, there's an article why most nonprofit videos fail. And I list about 10 different reasons why. So oh. if anybody's interested in that, I think that would be a valuable read. I wrote yes. it a little while ago and every once in a while when I look it over, I go, yeah, that's true. You know, when you sit down to put these things into words, sometimes it could be very powerful because I, I just read it before the show because I hadn't read it in a while. And I forgot some of these things myself. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's good reminders. And that's probably one of those evergreen things you could just reshare every now and then. 
helpful tips that we need that reminder. Even if we've read it, we need to keep coming back to that. And where you do it every day and still need that, sometimes we just need those basics. Yep. Uh, LinkedIn, I guess type in my name, David Jassy. I'll be happy to send you a calendar invite and we could have a, a conversation because uh, we all work with people we know. We don't work with people we don't know. So I'm happy to get to know people to see if we're a good fit. And I love people <laughs> and I'm happy to talk to them and find out about their world. And that shows. If anybody wants to have a conversation. Well, in this conversation, unfortunately, I did a lot of the talking. Uh, you were supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I like to hear all about people's world and uh, try and apply my experience to help them out. Yeah, I encourage people to go connect and check that out because you've got some great videos out there and some of them, you know, really powerful stories and compelling and just such a variety that's very interesting. So I'll link to everything in the show notes to where people can just click through to find you easily. And I appreciate you being here and sharing all this wisdom and helpful information and really just getting back to our why and starting with the end in mind. That's so true of so many things that we work on, but especially in this area. So thank you for this. Thank you so much. It was very, very nice of you to invite me on the show. And uh, from the moment we first met, I, uh, I see so much talent and experience and God should bless you in your important work for everybody, uh, helping nonprofits and putting your life experience to work for good causes. It's fantastic. And uh, you're even more skilled than you realize. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That means a lot coming from a video strategy expert. All right. We'll stay in touch and we will talk to you soon. Fantastic. Thank you so much. We'll be in touch. All right, friends. I hope by now you're feeling inspired to watch for the stories from a different perspective. This is such a big part of our work. If we don't tell the stories, people won't know there's a need. And if they don't know there's a need, they can't help meet that need. So please tell your stories. Now remember, if you need a hand with your grant searches and your ongoing grant tracking, go check out Instrumental's free trial at teresahuff.com instrumental and get $50 off your first month with the code GWSPOD. If you're a nonprofit or a grant writer and you need help figuring out your next right step, I would love to help you do just that in the Fast Track to Grant Writer program. Seriously, it's like miracle grow for grant writers. You can sign up and start learning today at teresahuff.com slash VIP. All right, my friends, what story will you share this week? Now go change your world.